0: Let's get started with it today. It is October. We are in the midst of Halloween season. Everywhere you go, whether online or in the stores, it's clear Halloween is coming. And I was at the dollar store the other day with my kids. And in the dollar store, they have this bin of movies for a dollar. And they're just like all scattered in there. And that's like a feeding frenzy for my children, they're just hands in there flipping through everything, trying to find a movie. And this was like a Halloween-themed movie uh, movie bin, and they they grabbed this one movie, and they wanted me to buy it, and they wanted to go home and watch it. This is an old movie from 1995, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Casper the Friendly Ghost, and. You know, despite my theological misalignment with a movie like that, I was like, okay, it's Halloween, we'll go home, we'll watch it. And if you don't know this, this is from 1995. It's a cartoon ghost, and my kids are sitting there, my, my little kids. I got a teenager, but my three littler ones were sitting there with their blankets just cupped up to their face, terrified <laughs> over this, this mid-90s cartoon crappy special effects ghost. And I sat there and I was like, how innocent, right? Like how cute that you think this is scary. One day they will grow up and that won't be scary to them. Like they'll come to find out what's truly scary, or at least they should. And that's what scares me about a lot of people in our world today. They don't know what's actually truly scary, You look at our world right now, especially in October, it is all about trying to scare you, right? And I'm not saying some of this stuff isn't frightening, but I am saying that if you're the type of person who likes to be scared during Halloween, if you like going to haunted houses and like creepy corn mazes, if that's you, you, if you want to be truly haunted, you need to read some of the words of Jesus. See, yes, yes. On the one hand, Jesus Christ said the most profoundly beautiful and comforting words ever spoken. He's the one that said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the one who said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Yeah, Jesus said, some of the most profoundly beautiful and comforting words we could ever, ever hear. But if you read the New Testament long enough, he also said some of the most haunting words ever spoken. And this October, for the rest of this month, we're just going to be looking at some of Jesus' more haunting words, words that would scare us. So I'm just going to warn you as we uh, get going with today's passage, as we start off this series Some of you may be like, oh, well, this is what we're doing today? This isn't that scary. Bear with me. As we dive in, I think you'll see how truly haunting this passage actually is. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you please turn to Luke chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 to 5 this morning. If you did happen to pick up one of the Bibles that we provide on your way in, that's on page 1109. Quick reference. As you are turning there, here's the context. Jesus is out and about just doing his Jesus thing, going out there and teaching the crowds. And at some point, this this group of people come to him, and they ask him about some recent events that had happened during Jesus' time. And we're going to see how Jesus responds to that. So with that, it'll be also up on the screen. Click through as we read it. Would you please hear the word of the Lord? Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. It says, there were some present at that very time who told him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and let's get to it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come before you this day and we ask that you would give us ready hearts to hear the comforts and the challenge these words of your Son and our Savior. Lord, lead us into a life of repentance, and through that, rejoicing in the salvation that we have through your grace. And we ask these things in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. So looking at this passage, looking at what's happening in the world, if there's a main point I could give you today, it would be this. Jesus is more concerned with your salvation than with current events. Now, before you troll me and want to add a bunch to this, let me just say this. Let's read this passage and see where we wind up. Jesus is more concerned with your salvation than with current events. I don't know if it's just because I'm older or just because with technology, things are just so much more in front of our face nowadays. But I just, it feels to me like, you know, like years ago, like current events were those things out there. Like, current events were things that, like, other countries were doing. Current events were things that were happening, like, in the city or or in Washington, D.C. Like, that was current events for me at some point in my life. But it just feels as of late, current events are getting a lot closer to home. Is it just me or do you feel that too? So as we look at our passage today, we're going to see how haunting this is in light of that. Let's start with talking about tyranny, and tragedy. See, this passage that we just read, it references what were seemingly two recent current events during, during Jesus' time. We don't know much about these events other than what's actually recorded here, but we can piece together some things. In this first, first instance, this first event, it appears that some Jews, they were, clearly, they were clearly Jewish people from Galilee, had come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, as Jewish people do, particularly around Passover. And this man, Pilate, the governor of Judea, you, you know him from Bible school, or from, from Sunday school. Pilate, is, this is the same Pilate who has Jesus killed later on. He's the governor of Judea. And these, these faithful Jewish people come to offer their sacrifices, and Pilate has them killed. And he mixes their blood in with their own sacrifices. Now, let me tell you right now, this is an absolutely horrific act. Yes, because innocent people were killed, but you also have to understand, like this was this was also extremely abhorrent and, and a gruesomely unholy act. This was sacrilegious and unholy on a way that, like on a wavelength that we just don't we can't comprehend. To mix human blood with the blood that was offered for the sacrifice of sins that that would have been gruesomely unholy. The other thing that was mentioned is uh, apparently an accident had happened that a tower fell and killed 18 people in the nearby region of Siloam. That was right by Jerusalem. So the first we could say was an act of tyranny. The second we could say was just a tragedy. And this crowd comes to Jesus, and in a, in a sense, they're trying to like wrap their minds around what happened. They're trying to explain what happened by essentially hinting at they deserved it. They they were obviously sinful people, and they deserved what they got. But even through that, Jesus sees right to their heart. Because let me tell you right now, Jesus always sees right to our hearts. You cannot hide your motives from Jesus. He knows exactly what you're trying to do and what you're trying to say, no matter what sort of religious language we want to put over top of it. Jesus always cuts right to the heart. See, the the people back then, they were trying to tell Jesus that they hadn't suffered the same fate as those other people's because, in a sense, well, they weren't as sinful like them. And Jesus cuts right to this. He looks at them and he basically says, you think these people were worse sinners because this is what happened? Even though they don't explicitly say it, it, the, the connotation is totally there. Jesus is saying, do you think they're worse sinners than you? He calls them out. But in 2,000 years, some things have changed. See, back then, people would have looked at victims of tyranny and tragedy, and they would have demonized them. They would look at people of, of tyranny and tragedy, and they would have said, oh, they're sinful people. They, they probably got what they deserved. See, but, but 2,000 years later, like, we don't demonize people of tyranny, people who are victims of tyranny and tragedy. We we glamorize them. Like we, we prop them up as heroes who have endured the sins of others, as, as people that we should lift up and long to be like. You know, you may think a lot has changed in 2,000 years, but here's the reality, my friends human nature does not change. We actually do the very same thing that crowd did. They tried to, and we tried to, prove ourselves as the righteous ones in the midst of everything that's happening in the world. You see, back then, they told Jesus, Jesus, those who suffered tragedy and tyranny, they are awful people, and we are righteous to recognize it. But today, what we say is, Jesus, those people who suffered tyranny and tragedy, they are awe-inspiring people, and we are right to recognize it. And Jesus, speaking to the crowd, says the same thing to us as he said to them. He says you want to look out you want to look out into the world and you want to see all the brokenness and the sin that's out there. But you need to stop and look at it in yourself first. So what does the Lord want in the midst of this? It's pretty clear because he spells it out twice. Repentance is the response. Repentance is the response that Jesus is looking for anytime people want to bring up the brokenness and the terrible things that are happening out there. Jesus will always hold a mirror to our face first. And here is why this is so haunting. This is why this is so haunting. With everything that's happening out there in the world, with all the brokenness and all the division that's out there in the world, the first thing Jesus is looking for is personal repentance from each and one of us. And with the constant flood In the constant stream that we all have in our pockets, being connected to every current event that's happening out there, what's haunting is that every time you get a notification about something that's going on in this world, you should hear the whisper of Jesus saying, Yes, but you repent first. Yes, you repent first. This is why it is so haunting. And the call to repent, we all know this, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, Nobody wants to hear the call to repent. And I know, and you know, exactly how some people would have wanted Jesus to respond. You know, there's a group of people who today would have walked up to Jesus and they would have said, Jesus Christ, did you hear what happened? Did you hear the government? Do you hear what they did? The government came, and there was these people. All they were trying to do is exercise their religious freedom, and the government came and had these people killed. What do you say, Jesus? And I know how many of us wanted Jesus to respond. Well now, boys, sounds like that's a clear-cut case of government overreach. This is the day we've been waiting for, Get them locked and loaded, boys. We're going to bring the fight to them. I'm not saying I don't resonate. (laughs) But that's not at all how Jesus responds. There's another group out there too. You know how they want Jesus to respond. They would have come to Jesus and been like, Jesus, did you hear what those in power did to those who were marginalized? These marginalized people were just trying to live their daily lives. And those with power came and ruled over them And subjugated them and killed them. What do you want us to do, Jesus? You know exactly how that crowd wants Jesus to respond. This is definitely a terrible thing. I know exactly what we should do. There is a Facebook filter for our profile pictures. It says, I stand with the Galileans. Let's all change our profile pictures to that. (laughs) They will hear our voices. And tonight, we're gonna go out on the streets and we're gonna protest and we're gonna burn our city down. Wait, burn our city down? (laughs) And you got these groups, right? And it doesn't matter which side you're on. If you know me, you probably know I tend to go on one side, not the other. But it doesn't matter. Because Jesus speaks to both of those crowds and says, you're both wrong. You want to look at problems out there? You want to be the ones to solve it? You need to solve the problem in your own heart first. You look at all the brokenness in the world, look at it first in yourself. This is a clear teaching of Jesus. Take the plank out of your own eye before you worry about the sawdust in someone else's. Jesus says, you want to respond to what's happening in the world? You need to repent. What did I do? I'm just reporting the news. Jesus says, you want to point to the news? Point to your own hearts. No, Jesus does not call for revolt. Jesus does not call for protest. He calls for repentance. And I'm sure the people back then, same as people today, what what did I do? We are all part of the problem. Jesus takes these tyrannical and tragic events that were happening, and instead of raising a banner of rebellion, he holds a mirror to our face and says, repent. That is the first step. The haunting thing is that other people out there had suffered tyranny and tragedy, And Jesus tells us we're not innocent. See, we want to point to others. Jesus always will point to you. He says, if you don't do something about it, your fate will be the same as the world's. And that something we are to do is repentance. Now, repentance is admitting and then rejecting sin. Repentance is not just saying God's way is better than my way. It's living like it. If you're a note taker, write these three things down. Here's three R words that kind of sum up what repentance is. It's remorse, rejection, and result. Remorse, rejection, and result. Repentance is remorse. It's going from loving sin to loathing it. It's going from loving sin to lamenting it. We acknowledge we're sinful and we feel sorry for it. But we can't just sit there and wallow in our own self pity. We have to reject it. So we have remorse over it, then we reject it. That goes from living in sin to leaving it behind. So we have remorse, then we reject it, and then we also have results. See, those who live a repentant life have a result they can point to. And that result is that we've turned to God who calls us, and we find joy in life in Him. It's listening to God. So back to Casper the Friendly Ghost. I looked at the back, and it was rated PG. And you guys all know that they they rate movies for certain things about the movie, right? But this said it was rated PG for thematic elements, whatever that means. Do you know what the most popular movie rating is today? Anybody? PG-13. PG-13 is the most popular movie rating today. And Hollywood bigwigs, they know exactly why. Because if they can make it a a PG-13 movie, then they're going to get 13-year-old boys to go. And if they can get 13-year-old boys to go, they know that they've got the whole family. Because the family's not going to leave little sister at home. They're all coming. So PG-13 is the most popular movie rating that there is today. But do you know what is the most clear way to move a, a movie rating From PG 13 to R, it's language. A PG 13 movie, PG 13 rated movie, it can have one of the big naughty words. But move it to two, and that's an automatic R rating. So if you watch a PG 13 movie, you can expect they're gonna slip in one of the big naughty words. But go to two, and it's gonna be rated R automatically. And sometimes I feel like, for Christians, repentance is a rated R word. It's okay if you say it once during a sermon, Pastor, but don't be harping on it, okay? Because nobody likes to be told they need to change. But yet it is the thing that Jesus calls us to. Why, Why do we get so uncomfortable with the word repentance? Well, I think it's because In a lot of ways, that word's been soured in our culture. That we hear repentance, we hear a call to repent, and we think of this guy. We think of the guy who's overly zealous on the street corner, yelling, turn or burn. And people don't want to be that guy, they don't want to be associated with that guy, and they don't want our pastor to sound like that guy. Just let me tell you something right now. When you think of and when you hear the word repentance and when you hear the call to repent, this is not the guy you all should be thinking of. You need to be thinking of Jesus Christ. In fact, repentance is so important to Jesus that it is the first word that he uses in his earthly ministry. You see, Jesus... He goes out, he gets baptized, and he goes into the wilderness, and he gets kind of like, in a sense, he gets like refined for ministry. He overcomes the devil, right? And then he comes back, he comes back to the people to start his ministry. And the very first word, the very first word out of his mouth is repent. It's actually found very early in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand Literally, the first word that Jesus uses to begin his ministry is repent. But why is this so important to Jesus? Because we're all terrible people and he wants us to know it? No. Because Jesus Christ knows the path that we are on does not lead to God. And he's calling us to a different path that leads to God. And the way we go from that path to this one is through repentance. He does this not to condemn us. He's doing this to try to save us. He's trying to save us from our own sins. See, some people will try to boil repentance down to simply mean to change your mind. And they'll look at common usage of the Greek word metanoia that Jesus uses. That it kind of has an addition of, of, of to change your mind. But fully fleshed out, it is much more than that. It's not just change your mind. It's, it's more like change the direction of your life. So imagine you, uh, you're here in West Michigan. You decide, you know what? I want to go to California. So you get in your vehicle and you said, I'm going to drive to California. I'm going to drive through the country, see, see the sunshine state. And so that's California, right? California sunshine state, is that right? Florida? That's the better state. Okay, so... What's California? The Golden State, right? Is that something like that yeah. shows how much I know about California? So you get in, you decide to go to Flor- uh, You go to, to California, and you you, you come, to, you cross the Indiana border, you swing around, you're going through Gary, and then you realize to yourself, you know what? I don't want to go to California. Who who would want to go to California right now? The Sunshine State sounds a lot better. <laughs> See, you've changed your mind, but until you change. The direction of your steering wheel. Until you turn the steering wheel, you've done nothing. Right? And for so many people who call themselves Christians, they've they've said they've changed their mind, but their life is still heading down the same direction. They said they changed their mind, but they have not taken the steering wheel of their life and turned anywhere. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Repentance is when you actually turn the steering wheel of your life and you find yourself on a new highway. Jesus says the path you're leading is the highway to hell and repentance is the path of salvation. So many people call themselves a Christian but they have not gotten serious about their faith. They're still putting things above God and Jesus is barely an afterthought to them and it's clear their life is not marked by repentance. So how many of you out there When you are correcting your children, when you are scolding your children, you scold them with a question. Why did you do that? What were you thinking? Anyone ever done that? Like Parent translation, you done messed up, now you're in trouble. Or do you know what the quintessential scolding question is? Tell me if you've ever said this. How many times have I told you Who's ever, who said that? Come on, let's just, confession is good for the soul. How many times have I told you? And what do they say? I don't know. (laughs) But for real, parents, like, isn't this so annoying? How many times have I told you? It gets frustrating because we tell them so many times, right? Right? How many times does Jesus have to tell us something? Like, literally, how many times does Jesus have to tell us something before we do it? Look at our passage again. In just five verses, two times in five verses, Jesus says, literally, word for word, even, the, even, even in the original language, it is word for word, the exact same sentence. Five verses, says it twice, verse three and five. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says this twice. In our passage. It's like Jesus is saying, how many times do I have to tell you guys? And what is scary is that so many people hear this, but they ignore it. And what is sad is that because they ignore it, they miss the beautiful truth of our passage. See, in our passage, Jesus points to two current events, right? The, the act of tyranny And the act of tragedy. And what's very interesting about this passage is that both of those foreshadow what is to come for Jesus Christ himself. See, the Pontius Pilate who killed those people and mixed their blood with the sacrifice of their sins, this is the same Pilate who later consents to Christ being killed on the cross and spills his blood which is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He also points to those 18 people who were tragically and innocently killed when a tower falls and crushes them. And this points to Jesus Christ who will innocently be killed when the weight of our sin crushes him. See, what's painfully beautiful about this passage is that Jesus takes the death that he warns us about, the death that we deserve, Jesus, our Savior, faces the death, the very deaths that he warns us about. He faces the death that we deserve. And yes, our sins do deserve this. And God knows that we cannot pay for our own sins, but we can turn from them. And we turn to the one who's died for our sins. To repent is to turn around from our sins to face God and to pursue holiness and to pursue Christ and listen to me this should be so unbelievably freeing to so many people in here you should not hear this and think condemnation you should hear this and think beauty and salvation because your value does not come from comparing yourself to others That crowd tried to prop themselves up against these people who they thought were sinful to try to give themselves value. And Jesus is like, don't even try to do that. Like, our value does not come from contrasting or comparing ourselves to others. There is no one you have to measure up to. We just believe in the one who has been himself the measure. We turn from our sin and we believe in God through his son, Jesus Christ, who was the one who measured up who was the one who paid for our sins, who took the death that he warned us about. Listen, repentance does not mean you come out perfect. There's not a person in here who's perfect. Repentance does not mean that you come out perfect, but it does mean there's a new direction to your life. It does mean you can point to a change. I was going this way, and now I'm going that way. And Jesus is so concerned with your repentance because the path that we are on leads to death which means it leads to the judgment and the suffering for our sins. The path we are on leads to the consequence of our sins. And Jesus calls us off that path. And that's called repentance. Because with everything going on in the world, Jesus is more concerned with your salvation than with current events. And don't troll me and come point to things that I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus isn't deeply concerned with what's happening in our world. He is, but listen to me right now. Through all the noise and all the confusion and all the distraction, Jesus is not distracted. He clears through that and he sees you. He has not forgotten you. Your voice is not lost on him in the chorus of all the crazy voices that are going on right now. Jesus looks through it all and he has not forgotten you. He still sees you. With all the brokenness in the world, your salvation is still of primary concern to Jesus. It is the reason he came to earth was to save you. Not to condemn you, but to pull you off that path and pull you to the path of salvation. When it comes to the momentary versus the eternal, Jesus is always focused on your soul. And listen to me, things are crazy right now. And it is completely understandable how much we want to focus on current events. But so many of us are so caught up with what's going on in the world, we've forgotten what God is wanting to do in us i feel like our world right now i feel like everyone falls into this trap of we just want to do one thing and that is expose other people's stupidity you are stupid if you don't get the shot yeah well you're stupid if you do get the shot yeah well you're stupid if you don't follow the science yeah well you're stupid if you don't follow basic logic yeah well you're stupid if you support that president yeah you're stupid if you support that one and Christians fall into that trap. Christian, let me tell you right now, when you fall into that, the devil sits there right next to you and says, Attaboy. You keep that up. You keep them distracted from what's most important. You keep them distracted on what other people are doing. Don't ever let them focus on themselves, and surely don't let them focus on the one upstairs. Christians, we, we, this is the time. We need to be called to a higher plane. I mean, sorry, the world is broken and there's only one who can redeem it and it's not you and it's not me. And we as the Christians, as, as the chorus of the saints and the church, we need to cry out to the world, not that you're stupid, but that there's a Savior. And we need to be given our lives to that cause and that message. Just like the crowd back then, we today, all we want is to be proven Right. For too many of us, we are are so concerned whether or not we are on the right side of history. And Jesus is clear. You should be concerned if you're on the right side of God. And you do not find God by being proven right. You find God by repenting. I'm going to say that again. You do not find God by being proven right. You find God by repenting. With all that's happening It's so easy to get distracted. That's why Jesus wants to cut through all the clutter and he wants to hold a mirror up to your face. Listen to me right now. He doesn't want you to hold the mirror in front of your spouse's face. He's holding the mirror in front of your face. Right now, all of us and teenagers in the house, same goes for you. If you have that mirror, if you were looking at it right now, I'm going to tell you right now, you see one of two things. You either see a person who has repented. Who is pursuing Christ. And if that's what you see, then let me tell you right now, you see a redeemed child of God who is called beloved in his kingdom. But if you were looking in that mirror and you see someone who has not repented, I'm going to tell you right now, then what you see is someone that God is calling to himself. And the path to him is through Jesus and it starts by repentance. Repentance. It's turning from your sin, turning to the one that saves you. You see one of two things. You either see a redeemed saint or you see someone that God is calling to himself. And he is calling us all to repent, to leave our sin behind and to come to him. We will ever need forgiveness on this side of eternity. But thanks be to God that on the cross, Jesus has paid for our sins past, present, and future. And we just continue to live a life of turning from the world and turning to Him as we leave our sin behind. And God calls us all to the foot of the cross where Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins. And He has died the death that He warned us about. Jesus did die completely and fully for our sins, but He didn't stay dead, He rose from the dead. And he rose to new life and that's how you can be assured that you will get new life in him because he has triumphed over death and he will give you the life that he now lives. Listen to me. With all that's going on in the world right now, Jesus is still concerned about you. He's still concerned about your soul. He's still concerned about you. Yes, he is deeply concerned about what's going on in this world. Yes, he will come and make all things new. He will correct every wrong that has happened. Yes, and we as a church, we do stand and we fight for what's right, but we stand as repentant people pursuing God above all else, not trying to prove someone wrong, not trying to trump, just trying to be faithful to God. Jesus is more concerned with your salvation than with current events. If you have never yet placed your faith In the name of Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in the one who loves you the most, if you've never repented and received the salvation that there is in Jesus, then I'm here to tell you, let today be the day of salvation for you. Repent of your sins. Claim the promises of God. Find the love that there is in God through Jesus. Let these haunting words of Jesus be the very words that lead you to life. If you're able, would you please stand? I want everyone to bow your heads. I truly believe that right now there's a stirring in some people's soul. Whether you're in this room, you're in one of our venues, you're joining us online, or maybe later in a podcast, there's a stirring in your soul right now, and that is the Holy Spirit's confirming that God is calling you. And while we do have public demonstrations of our faith, it starts out as a private matter. So, just between you and the Lord right now, if God is calling you, then lay your sin down and believe in Jesus and receive what he's done. With every head bowed, we're going to say a prayer together. And for some of you, this will be the first time you've made this prayer your own. For some of you, it'll be the thousandth time you've made this prayer. But we're going to pray right now a prayer of repentance, a prayer to receive the grace that God has for us in Jesus. And so with every head bowed, if you are going to make that prayer for the very first time to receive salvation in Jesus' name, would you raise your hand? If you're looking at your life right now and you say, I have repented, but I am down the wrong path and it's time to go back on the right one, would you raise your hand? You guys can put your hands down. As we say this prayer, you don't have to repeat after me, but what I want you to be doing is that if you are making this prayer your own, either for the first time or the thousandth time, I want you to just audibly say amen after anything I say that you agree with. That, and that is you making that prayer your own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you knowing sin is not your plan for us. We come acknowledging and confessing our sin and our need for a Savior. And so, Lord, we repent of our sin. And we place our faith in the risen Savior, who died on the cross for our sins and whose resurrection from the grave gives us new life and not just new life, but eternal life. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and clean our hearts. Guide us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, that we may know more and more the love of God that there is through faith in Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for living for us. Thank you for the grace that now saves us. We rejoice that lives are now written in your book of life. And we await for the day where you make all things new. And Lord, we together, we pray these things in the most precious, perfect, and powerful name there is. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. Church, let's sing like we mean it.